It all starts with this. A podcast about the world's most famous hedgehog. That's the Podcast Emerald. Now I know what's going on. The internet has listened to me with the likes of you. So, where do you think you're going with that emerald? Podcast with me, you blue person. Podcast control. Wow, they're fast at talking. Hey, it's not their words. They must be using the podcast Emerald to speak. My name is Crap. I'm the world's ultimate voice for. There's plenty of time for podcasting. Welcome. Crap, who are they? Don't move. Stand where you are. Keep your hands up in the air. Not again. Welcome to the second episode of Let's Talk About Sonic, the only podcast in the world where we talk about Sonic and nothing else all the time, because there's a lot of it to talk about. Uh, I am Mitt. I'm here with my co-host, Crap. Hi, I'm Crap. You can find me on Twitter at CrapyBlue. That's C-R-A-P-P-Y-B-L-U-E. You can find me on Twitter as well. That's twitter.com slash Mario. Uh, it's a conflict of interest, but don't worry about it. This week, we're going to be talking about Sonic Adventure 2, the most controversial Sonic game ever made, uh, as per um, some people think that way. I don't think that. Um, I don't think that. I I like this game. It's a cool little game. I think... I don't know. I feel like my opinion on it has very vastly shifted over the past couple of months, especially because like I've started playing it casually and also like super casually because of stuff like the randomizer. But that's definitely not the intended... Like, the way that I'm playing it is not, like, the raw SA2 experience, <laughs> I don't think. I mean, that's the thing. There's a lot of ways to play a lot of older games these days, thanks to randomizers and other types of mods, especially since a lot of them are exceedingly simple to set up on, like, Steam releases. Yeah. I haven't touched the randomizer yet, but I've seen a lot of gameplay of it. It's very... It's very entertaining. Yeah, I I dig it. Um, I I like playing through as many levels as I can as a hedgehog of some sorts because that's my favorite gameplay in SA2. But it's also like it, you you kind of come to realize that like oh wait a minute, even though they readjust these levels to make it possible to play through, it doesn't necessarily make it more fun to play through. But like. It's still neat. It's especially neat to play as Shadow and like he gets all the stuff that Sonic does because that's not the case in the actual game. Hmm. So I think the big thing that I've definitely learned that I kind of hinted at is that I am I am a big fan of the Hedgehog's gameplay in SA2. But um, recently I've gotten back into it just doing like a vanilla playthrough uh, of SA2 with you. And that's when I, I learned that, like, I'm really not big on the other gameplay styles at all. And I know we have a couple of friends who would vastly disagree, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would vastly disagree with that. But I don't know. I think the the changes 
to Sonic's gameplay from SA1 are really interesting and thoughtful, I think. And um, it's a direction of 3D Sonic that I enjoy a lot, and especially in terms of just like the adventure-style platforming Sonic, where that's kind of all you do is run around and platform. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. The, the treasure hunting in mech stages, I just don't connect with at all. I'm not super big on a lot of the level design and the treasure hunting levels. Um, the mech stages are just very hefty. It's not that fun to run around in and shoot things. And it's been a while since I played through um, Adventure 1 as Knuckles and Gamma, respectively. So I can't really make that connection myself. Uh, but uh, what do you think on that front? Uh... The level design had a lot to do with it, honestly, mm -hmm. and how do I put this? People have talked plenty about the differences in game structure between SA1 and SA2 and how the fact that every character had level overlap in SA1 without, without necessarily going to drastically different level areas um, versus in SA2 where everyone has their own unique level layouts that only they go to mm -hmm. uh, really impacts the way that characters play because in SA1 Gamma controlled like a little weirdly a little stiffly but you could maneuver him through uh, levels like Emerald Coast and Windy uh, Windy Valley just fine yeah uh, just not the same way you would maneuver Sonic and and uh, and Tails through but perfectly fine yeah, because because with Tails and Eggman, their their gameplay relies on more just like rote platforming. It feels like more like you're playing a Mario game than a Sonic game. There's not a whole lot to do with the levels rather than or instead of just jumping from block to block, which like is is fine. But like, I think the thing that makes that work with something like Mario is that you're still like a little guy. You're like jumping all over the place and it doesn't feel super duper satisfying to control this huge mecha and like gun everything down because the the process of gunning everything down i don't want to say i don't want to say it doesn't have any weight to it but it just feels like it's kind of there like it doesn't really add much cuz in in gamma story they put way more of an emphasis on it because that's literally the way you survive so you have to keep shooting right and I don't think it's necessarily an extrinsic thing. Like I don't, I don't think it doesn't feel good because there's no extrinsic reason for it to to be fun. Like there's there's something about it that doesn't mesh, and I think the fact that it is so removed from Sonic's core gameplay does not help. And that's why I think Gamma and all the rest fit a little better because like. All those characters being similar regardless to Sonic's core gameplay lets them feel connected to the overall game. Like, they're still very different, but you're still, it still kind of feels like you're playing as a Sonic character, which is very Genesis reminiscent. Whether, uh, Whereas in SA2, it is three distinctly different gameplay styles. Like, less so with Knuckles, but right. they are very different. I mean, that's the comparison I was going to make too, is the like, SA2 feels closer to the Genesis games in, sorry, not SA2, SA1 feels closer to the Genesis games in a lot of ways, but one of them is definitely the way that the, most of the characters at least, feel similar, 
even mm. if Gamma doesn't have the same sort of acceleration and top speed as Sonic, he still has the same fluidity of motion. Yeah. And I get what you were going for with um with talking about the shooting in SA2. I don't really know how to describe it either. I think like I think you hit the nail on the head on Gamma's shooting feeling more impactful because it's it's integral to actually progressing in playing levels as Gamma. Mm-hmm. And when you strip that away, I don't think they really changed much about the shooting, which means that what what you're left with feels a lot shallower just by virtue of of lacking that vital layer to the gameplay. Yeah. Uh, it kind of shows how the shooting doesn't have much to it mechanically or sensorially. It just sort of happens as you're moving. Uh, it doesn't feel like your motion is impacted by it. It doesn't feel like uh, the way you choose to move is impacted by it either, aside from just spinning around constantly to get your lock on as many things as possible. Yeah. It's it's really strange. I think Gamma being able to... Like, Gamma's so much more mobile. I think that also helps make it feel way better. Yeah, turning feels awful with the mechs in SA2. Yeah, for sure. Not just uh, turning radius, but trying to turn around. Yeah. You, you are definitely playing the Super Mario 64 of, um, <laughs> of a Sonic game in that respect. Um... Man, people compare a... SA2 to Sunshine. Do they? I, I, mm. Let me tell... Okay, okay. This is a tangent, but let me tell you why. Um, I also don't agree with people who say this, but people compare SA2 to Sunshine in terms of, like, uh, relative divisiveness within the franchise or relative um, black sheepness in terms of design, which is a real stretch. But, yeah. you know, like, SA2 came out in 2001... And people have mixed opinions on it because it has high points and low points. Mario Sunshine came out in 2002, and people feel mixed on it because it has high points and low points. Same thing. Same game, right? Same thing. Uh, as, as the resident Mario Sunshine liker, <laughs> I know that is my burden to carry. Uh, <laughs> these are These are very different games for their respective franchises like i i can't help but see sonic adventure 2 as like the logical next step from sa1 in a lot of ways right and i guess in that respect you could also say that about sunshine from 64 to a degree because it was a very literal sequel that's another reason why they're not really comparable because they're logical they're logical extensions of two different things yeah that's like saying any sequel is comparable <laughs> to any other sequel, which doesn't make any sense. Man, Mario Sunshine is really the uh, the Empire Strikes Back of the Mario series. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not interested in drawing in the Star, uh, Star Wars talk to this either. Uh, I can continue the Mario talk. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're just we are the podcast that, that talks only about Sonic the Hedgehog. So. Yeah. Um, I was playing Mario Sunshine earlier in handheld mode on my Switch, <laughs> and it wasn't that fun. Um, and like, I love Sunshine. I guess like it's a it's a mix of me being rusty because it's been a hot minute since I last played it, but also like, wow, I don't like playing it on this little Joy-Con stick. It feels awful. I feel like I'm gonna break it anytime I do anything I want. Hmm. I can't remember the last time I played a Switch game. 
You played it the other the other night. We played another Mario game. Wow, there's so many Mario games in this Sonic podcast. Right, that was the last time I played a Switch game. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think much about how the controls felt because I was thinking too much about how de- how delayed the controls were. Huh. It's funny you you were saying while we were playing 3D World that uh that it felt lagless for you and like cool great not on my end. <laughs> and you were hosting. That's wild. Yeah. Oh well. Nintendo doesn't make good games anymore. You know who does? I would use this opportunity to make a joke about Sega, but they don't really uh, make a lot of Sonic games right now. Puyo Puyo, Um, Tetris 2. He's in that game. Okay, we're back on it. He's in that game. And that game has a 2 in it, just like Sonic Adventure 2. Okay, we're back. Just like Sonic Adventure 2. Um... Like I mentioned in the last episode, I think one of the fa- my favorite things that I've like grown to be able to do in Adventure Two is just like play Sonic and Shadow like super duper good. Because once once you you're able to consistently do the Metal Harbor thing at the end where you get to the higher level of the rocket, you're like a champion. You're like the coolest guy on the block. <laughs> it, it feels awesome to get up there, and the game tells you you're awesome, and you I am awesome, and then you get a million points, and you get that A rank, and the game's like you deserve this. Yeah, the game hands you an A rank on a platter, and it's like, yeah. It's it's really funny, because when we were playing, or when I was playing and, wa- and you were watching, mm-hmm. it was, I, I was getting so many A ranks, like, for free, and it was all on stuff that I didn't think I was doing well on. Yeah. Like, uh, I think it was, like, Pumpkin Hill. I felt like I was really slow, and the game still handed me an A rank. I was surprised I got C ranks on some of the stuff I did. Not because I was expecting better, it's because I was expecting worse. Yeah, I know it like goes down to D in SA2, but like still, it goes down to E. Never mind. I was thinking of more recent games. It's yeah. So I was getting the middleest rank. Yeah, it's it's crazy because I feel like a lot of people say that SA2 ranks really harshly, and like it does. But I don't know. I guess I was playing really good. I guess because part of it too is that like the the speed at which you are playing through the level is not as important as like getting a whole bunch of points in the level and doing that well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like point micromanagement in SA2 that really bulk up your score. Like I think with with knuckle stages, those are the most important time bonuses because like finding everything fast is kind of the point. And those get you immediate point bonuses too. It's not just the time bonus at the end. It's like if you get an emerald shard super duper fast, you get a perfect bonus and you get a ton of points. Oh yeah, and like the the plot, the speed stages and shooting stages, the, the speed stages and the mech stages also have uh, golden enemies that will show up sometime and sometimes and have unique conditions for making them show up, mm-hmm. which is part of that points management stuff. Is is knowing how to make those enemies appear in places? Yeah, get a bunch of score from from taking them down. Yeah, which is. It's interesting how, like, when I remember playing last, like, before I really got into it again, I remember having a lot of trouble, like, consistently hitting those. For whatever reason, I remember um, having trouble hitting the one in Metal Harbor, where you, you it's a homing attack chain over a pit, and you gotta, like, really go out of your way to hit it. Yeah. I remember it going away before I can do that. There's another one, too, but I can't remember what it is in a different level. Um, it might have been the one in the first tales level i think it's on an elevator in prison lane yeah in prison lane i think that's the one i'm thinking of and i remember that being 
a lot harder to shoot than it was when I got it. So, I don't know. I, it's interesting how the game kind of sticks with you and how, like, much like with many games, the more you play it, the better you get. Much like with many games that we care about. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I wonder why. Much like with many games with Sonic in it. Crazy. Crazy. Speaking of games that have Sonic in it... <laughs> I like the segue. Yeah, that's the hokiest segue you could possibly pull out for this podcast, and we're on episode two. <laughs> I was going to talk more about SA1, uh, mm. gameplay-wise, because... This is my uh, my personal observation. And I'm not sure how accurate it is, but the one of the fundamental differences I noticed between playing SA1 really well and playing SA2 really well, especially since especially since you don't get ranked in SA1, is that as Sonic in SA1, you're heavily rewarded for using the physics to your advantage, just like in the Genesis games, levels like Ice Cap, where you can skip an, an entire chunks of the level, entire. Uh, subsections of the level just with a well-timed spin dash jump uh, up the mountain Mm. in places versus in SA2 where a lot of like well-timed play will get you better results like people like to call the speed levels in SA2 linear and they are but they're not even as linear as the mech levels in SA2, mm. at least most of them. And I feel like the fact that the speed levels in SA2 still have some non-linearity to them in the way that you can traverse them, take specific paths, uh, end up in one section versus another, is like the DNA that connects them to the level design of SA1 still. And mm. that's where that comparison kind of holds water. It's because you can, you can skip things in SA1 and what you get is a shorter level. But you can skip things in SA2, and what you get is a better rank. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think the way you put it is a really good way of putting it. Like, Sonic Adventure 2's speed levels are... I, I have, like, thoughts all over the place right now. Yeah. I, I like the levels in SA2 for Sonic and Shadow being more linear... Because it helps them feel more focused. And right. I'm not the kind of person who will always say, like, oh, uh, linear games are always better than non-linear ones because they're always more focused. But because, like, it it benefits Sonic's gameplay in a way that, like, high-level SA2 play, you are doing more on a moment-to-moment basis than you are, I think, in SA1. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, with SA1, it's a lot of... Um, skips with the spin dash whereas in SA2 it's a lot more involved and you have to use a lot more of what's given to you in your terrain to know when and where to do things and like it's also difficult to do some of the stuff that they ask you to do to get a high rank like sometimes there will be grind rails that you have to jump on and those are a little tricky to jump on which isn't the most difficult example in the world but like it's still something uh, yeah and it's like it's optional like there's all the optional grind rails throughout metal harbor and like i if memory serves you don't necessarily have to do them and it's a lot easier to do them on a replay because then you have the um the light speed dash which just puts you on them most of the time right but doing them gets you more points 
and points are what's important. So like, it's it's not so much that you're exploring for shortcuts. Your shortcuts are. Hmm. I don't know. It's the the train of thought that led me there is that like SA one's level design is more immediately comparable to the Genesis games, where like, yes, you are exploring through platforming to find shortcuts through the level. And SA two doesn't really have shortcuts. I believe you mentioned something like this, where it's there's not shortcuts. There's like point cuts. Yeah, basically. You go through and you get a bunch of you get a bunch of points, and like sometimes it'll be a little faster, but that's not as important because you get a million points. And I think like what I was trying to get at was like the tightness of of what you're doing. Yeah. In SA two levels, like you mentioned, the the density of 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 the actions you're you're making at any given moment, like that's that's something absent from all of SA one gameplay, not just Sonic. Mm-hmm. It's the sort of thing that makes. Hmm. How do I put this in a way it doesn't sound like, uh, doesn't sound like a hot take? Ugh. Um, Sonic Adventure Two is like really obviously a gameplay bridge between uh, 2D 2D Genesis Sonic gameplay slash SA One gameplay and Unleashed gameplay, Unleashed mm-hmm. and Onward Boost gameplay, where like those games also have some amount of um high density in terms of the things you're doing from moment to moment, uh. But they're they're hyperlinear. They're very arcadey. They're very reflex heavy, mm. uh, and they they're less reliant on a sort of uh, fluidity of of gameplay and more of a um, knowing the exact right time to do this thing, then this thing, then this thing, then this thing, so that you fit yourself through tight gaps. You stop yourself in the right place. You grab onto this thing. You get past this thing. In SA two, the speed stages have a lot more. A lot more of a gradient in terms of where you can be to accomplish something. There are things like the uh, the high top uh, at the at the rocket climb uh, in Metal Harbor, where like you can do a thing that's much more demanding and get a good payout if you succeed. But those aren't everywhere. That isn't like that itself is not the moment to moment gameplay in the speed stations in SA two. That's something you can seek out at places. Yeah, based on the level design. Yeah, I I agree completely. And it to jump the shark for this podcast a little tiny bit. Oh, here we go. I I do think that the boost gameplay gets a lot of flack, and I'm I'm mostly talking about like the prime boost games, so like not even colors, but like unleashed and generations, and like that's it. Those are like the two big uh, boost games that I think really take advantage of. The gameplay style because like forces is we're not going to worry about that one mm. um and colors is a lot more focused on core platforming especially 2d platforming yeah. and you only get boost at all in certain stages and when you do get it it is a very limited resource so like generations and unleashed are the two most comparable ones and i i see the boost gameplay get a lot of flack for being the way that it is because when taken at face value it's very like oh you're always boosting and that's bad because then you're just going through the level and it does it all for you and it's like sure if you're trying (laughs) to do the bare minimum which in generations is not like they really hold that to you but like 
what is Sonic if not a franchise that like pushes you to want to replay the levels to do better for your own gain? Like the Genesis games didn't have ranks. It was just you play better and better because it's more fun to play better and better. Mm-hmm. So like when I see boost gameplay and like when I play that, that's kind of what I get from it. And that's why in Generations, I'm way more attached to to modern Sonic than I am classic Sonic, which part of that is just classic Sonic doesn't control super good. Yeah. But the the modern stages are awesome. They are so much fun to play like over and over and over again. And they're just like the perfect length. And there's so much stuff to do. And I really like how, how many paths like diverge in a lot of the modern levels that take you to completely different uh, subsections, which if they ever went back to the adventure formula, that could be something they could easily bring in. It would probably be hard to develop for because mm. I'm, I'm almost positive that that's a pain that is basically doubling or tripling your level design time. Cause you're literally just making more of a linear level. Um, but I could definitely see that uh, helping kind of bridge the gap over from classic fans and SA1 fans who kind of like that sort of level design while still introducing them to the more score-focused uh, action platforming from SA2 and the boost games. Right. It's it's that sort of level design needs that made developing boost games hard to begin with for Sonic Team. Yeah. Uh, the the devs behind those games have talked plenty about like the woes of of how long they've had to make levels to make them substantial in terms of gameplay since you can run through them so quickly and definitely adding branching paths and alternate pathways entirely to that it's gonna expand the problem yeah I and hey that's probably why going back to the SA2 formula would probably be a good idea because it would alleviate that problem pretty substantially. Like even just not having the boost would let you have that same gameplay without extending dev time. Oh yeah. You're still kind of doing that same thing, just less fast, I guess. It's still as fun. Yeah. The problem is they're very attached to the boosts right now. Don't know if that's going to change. To be fair, they did put out Sonic Lost World. That game has like a pseudo boost with its, its, really funky spin dash but it doesn't have the boost it doesn't have the boost i yeah i see where you're coming from i have a hard time saying that they're necessarily attached to it because they did go on that huge tangent it does feel like with forces like the fact that they did return to the boost is an actual surprise and and when we first learned that it was boost gameplay that was like oh we're getting another boost game that's great because the last one was not that great and it wasn't the boost gameplay. So at least this is something they've done before. They know the ins and outs and they'll just go back to it. That's fair and true. But we're not going to talk about Sonic Forces right now. Yeah, we, we really don't need to get to it. It's okay. But we, even though we keep going back to it. Um, I was going to say something that's like a, a tangent on its own uh, from something you were mentioning, which was um, how important replaying is to these games. And... Mm-hmm. I want to say this in a way that doesn't come off like like I'm a, a a classic game kind of a retro game kind of elitist because I'm really really not and I don't know if I would even enjoy this more than what we already have, but I was just I was just kind of thinking about how save systems kind of 
go against that to some degree because losing your progress and having to start over from the beginning and replaying the beginning over and over until you inherently understand it better and play it better every time mm-hmm. was part of how that design philosophy worked for Sonic 1 and 2. And having a save system is much more forgiving and friendly and nice and can make playing the games feel better when you get game overs and the like. But I think it does sap away the satisfaction of learning the game better because replaying it because you felt like giving another shot, even if it's like the next day, a week later, a month later, is enough of an incentive to make you get better at the level design and controlling characters. Mm-hmm. When you don't lose that progress, let me rephrase that. I don't think they've done anything to like substitute that incentive since adding right. a safe system to the franchise. And I think that's something that like they're still struggling with is figuring out how to get people wanting to play their games over and over again, which the ranking system was supposed to be part of, but ended up being a little like splitting the uh, splitting the install base, I guess, in terms of how they felt about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that topic has like a good resolution, but it's I mean, something I was thinking about. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, do do you think that like, because my my approach to that would be just kind of literally what the games already do, but like especially. Um, SA2 does it super good. I love the way Generations does it. Where the levels are still framed in a greater story mode where that does have a save system because that's where it matters. But then you also have an equally as accessible method of replaying all the levels on their own. Right. And then maybe there could also be a third option where it's like Sonic Colors um, what's it called? The, the mode where you just go through every level. Hmm. In a row uh, it's called no the egg shuttle yeah something like the egg shuttle in every game where it's it is that format where you just play through every level and in a game that's not sonic colors that would probably work better because then you're not playing through all the little micro levels that they have in each world you're playing oh, yeah. through all of the core levels but without the framework of the yeah. story mode and that just comes back to what you were saying before of like these games should have more options. When I said before, I mean last episode. Yeah. More games in general should have more options, and yeah, that is a development concern uh, in terms of, like, budget, time, resources, whatever. It's still something that should be made more standard to the point where we're not thinking of it as an extension of budget, time, and resources. Mm -hmm. But we're thinking about it first so that other things are instead the extension of budget, time, resources. Yeah. I think we should probably try and and dip into the other gameplay styles too cuz like we touched upon the mech gameplay for a little bit uh starting yeah. out. But we've mostly spent our time talking about Sonic, which is like it's it's the most of what the game has to offer. Yeah, it it I I think it is personally the most fun and I guess I now have to detail why. Um <laughs> I think the Sonic and Shadow stages are like it's it's what I come to a Sonic game for. It's that kind of gameplay that I enjoy. And I guess the easy step next step would be like Knuckles and Rouge and the treasure hunting changes. So I think I'm coming to understand that I'm not super crazy about the treasure hunting levels. 
and that is very very level design dependent yeah i was about to say there are definitely better levels than others in the treasure hunting stages but i don't know there's something about it that just doesn't scratch any itch of mine i don't think it doesn't really propose anything that's really crazy or interesting with the sonic formula i was starting to feel that while we were playing the other day like mm. it wasn't really grabbing me i i made it through uh yeah i made it through wild canyon and pumpkin hill and then got to aquatic mine uh in my hero playthrough that we that i haven't finished yet and it just really sputtered out <laughs> at aquatic mine now, to be fair, I was running on fumes that day, but, like, mm, I just didn't, I didn't want to put up with the things it was asking me to do, because it's, we, we've talked about the ranking system uh, being, like, an overall good, because it's not, it's not usually presented in a way that's judging the player. It's very, like, you get your ranking and then you move on. Mm -hmm. Um... When I sit down and I play the treasure hunting levels in SA2, I feel like I'm I'm ready to be judged. Like, that's what I'm being prepared for when I step into one of them. Because I'm always hyper aware of, like, oh, I'm taking a long time doing this. Yeah. It's been sure. five minutes and I still haven't found one. Oh. Yeah. That's not great. And, and in part fairness... Of that, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think like, cause, cause when I played two, it's like, I, I also felt that. I think that will always happen when, when you play a level like that, where it's like, okay, you're gonna be here for a while. But like <sighs> even then, cause like when I was playing on Pumpkin Hill, it still gave me a pretty good score, even though I felt like I was spending a really long time. Like yeah. I guess it was just an above average speed. Um, I know when I personally did Aquatic Aquatic Mind. Aquatic mind, aquatic mind. Um, I drowned while trying to get the um, the the upgrade that lets you breathe underwater longer, and that is a score reset. So, like, obviously, once you do that, you can't expect your score to be any good unless you literally haven't made any progress in the level, which I had. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's interesting how th those levels are specifically very geared towards like okay i'm here for a while and I, I think part of that has to do with the way that the levels are set up where there are they're big but they're claustrophobic yes that's absolutely true especially like with something like death chamber which i didn't even get to when i was playing mm. like i i know from memory how how cramped the corridors in that level are uh I was gonna say also on the subject of aquatic mind specifically, I didn't even get to the to the breathing upgrade for Knuckles. I don't remember where it is in the level. It's uh, very out of the way. Yeah, and you know how people criticize Sonic CD for having the ten minute timer like Sonic One and Two mm -hmm. in a game where you're expected to explore and take your time to find something specific. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about not having the breathing apparatus upgrade put right in front of you in aquatic mine yeah which because they do that with pumpkin hill with the shovel claw which oh, like yeah. that's more of a thing that you need because but like 
Yeah, right, you could theoretically mine. beat Aquatic Mine without getting the upgrade. Yeah, but like it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, you have it. And there's not even any water bubbles uh, that I know of in the path to oh, get there, to it. Oh, there are. Oh, oh there on the are? path okay. to get to it. Okay. Yeah, on the Sorry. path to get to it. I think <laughs> in in the level in general, they're very sparse. I I don't remember seeing any, right. but like I wasn't on the lookout for them. I I ran to a couple of spots. Um, mm -hmm. Either that, or I ran to the same spot twice, which is just as likely. Yeah. Which is also a problem with Aquatic Mine is that its level, um, its landmarks are bad. It's not good. It, it's it's a series of differently sized cubes intersecting with each other. Mm -hmm. So every room has a neat four corners to it. And you got to know which corner you want to go to. But they all kind of look the same. Mm -hmm. It's very signpost dependent level design. And it's in a game where you run fast, so it's very easy to miss signposts. Yeah. Eh. <sighs> I didn't have too much fun with the Knuckles levels as I was playing them. Yeah, it's... It's something that I know amongst our friends, we've had conversations about, like, hmm, if they made, like, a new game, how would we get the formula going in 3D, in, like, a new an interesting kind of modern way that isn't strictly um, like the boost or SA2 or SA1 or anything. And a lot of the logical conclusions to jump to with like Knuckles and Rouge is to like make them more combat oriented. But I also don't know how I feel about that. I think a lot of the, the appeal in the SA1 stages is the fact that you go to the same stages as every character. Yeah. Because that means that everyone has to have a similar enough moveset that they can uh, get across all the terrain comfortably, which makes exploring inherently more interesting. Because That's why... Oh, sorry, you weren't done. I was kind of done. It's just like... it's You're going to places that you might not be intended to go, so you're just kind of doing whatever you want. It's just the game offering you more freedom. Right, exactly. And that's, that's why people praise... Uh, Red Mountain, specifically, out of all the levels in Sonic Adventure 1 for that, because it's... Of the levels that both Sonic and Knuckles go to, there's pretty much only... Uh, I would say Lost World, Speed Highway, and uh, Red Mountain are the only ones where it feels like Knuckles is actually playing within a platforming section that he can just ignore all the platforming in. Mm -hmm. Whereas... In uh, Casinopolis, um, you're limited only to the lobby, so it feels a lot more constricted, or uh, constrained is the better word, and you end up in a lot of spots that Sonic doesn't go to, period, rather rather than spots where Sonic has to work his way up, and you're like, oh dang, I can just climb up here, um, which is like a, a much different sense of satisfaction. And Red yeah. Mountain does it the best because it's, one, massive, two, uh... Actually, let me rephrase that. It's it's one relatively massive, like it feels big, but it isn't actually that big, so it's still really manageable. And two, it's heavily landmark based. Every single section is different. Even the spots where they they reuse the uh, monkey bars in one spot and then have them in another, uh, they'll still feel different because the mountain shapes and platform around them are different and like recognizably different. Uh, that's something that the outside section of Red Mountain does really well 
and allows for Knuckles to have a really interesting space to traverse compared to like Aquatic Mine uh, and Wild Canyon and honestly Pumpkin Hill 2 and definitely Death Chamber. Mm, probably Meteor Herd also, but I can't say that for sure. Where like so much of the chunks of level feel the same mm -hmm. in in structure and shape that it's not just easy to lose yourself. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell if you need to go one way versus another sometimes because there will be multiple landmarks that fit the same description for for emerald location hints. Mm -hmm. And so you go out and get another hint. And maybe even then it's still not descriptive enough. Yeah, I definitely felt that when I was playing through Death Chamber and it was getting to the point where like I had to start asking for hints because it, it was just so long and half of the hints were completely worthless. They just were not communicative of where I had to go because there were literally three wings of the area that are basically identical. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's why wild Canyon kind of works. It's, it is a 2d level and I <laughs> yeah. will explain that. Um, you have three main areas. There's like the lower level that you start in and then you go up and that is one straight axis. There is an east wing and a west wing and that's it. There's no Z axis to that at all. It's just X and Y and you just go through it and that makes it so much more manageable. And like to a degree, that could be less than ideal level design for a 3D game. I, I think I am very critical of 3D games that do not take advantage of the full 3D space that is allotted to it. I think that's why I have a lot of um, criticisms with like Mario 3D World, even though I think it's a fun game regardless. Yeah. Um, but that's like you had mentioned, that's definitely why Pumpkin Hill is like way too much. It's a huge level. Barely anything is distinct. Like there's a couple of, of big landmarks in Pumpkin Hill, but on a small scale, and because you don't have the three emerald radar to finally bring up the elephant in the room, <laughs> it makes it so much more difficult to like really know where everything is. I think not like now that I'm really like thinking about it, having the the radar detect all three pieces at the same time gives you a sense of space at all times. Yes. That just having one at once does not at all yeah i think they made that change thinking it would make the gameplay of the treasure hunting stages feel more linear and objective based mm -hmm. but it really doesn't yeah it just makes you feel it makes you feel limited arbitrarily uh, especially if you've already played sa1 it's something you could probably miss if you started with sa2 as yeah. as like your first game in the series but I think a lot of people who played SA2 first would still notice when they, they stop and happen to see an emerald piece and notice their radar isn't going off. Yeah. And like the emeralds are so small that I think by design, they're hard to spot without the radar. Yeah. Which, man, they glow in SA1. <laughs> yeah, so I was about to say, I think... I think it's a it's a factor of SA2's like 
quote-unquote more realistic lighting it's mm -hmm. in general it's just mostly darker lighting compared to sa1 but like even then it's still it the better word is grounded sa2 goes for for a lighting style that's and a visual style that's more grounded than sa1s it's just what it is yeah and sa1 all the emerald shards are not just glowing they're such a bright green and they're, they're huge. the same they're huge they're the same color as our Discord icons are when they glow when we talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't miss them. Yeah. I, yeah, that definitely does soften the blow a ton. And then, like, if you're playing as Rouge and you're in Security Hall and you have the little emeralds, that's even worse. Yeah. It's like, to go back to Pumpkin Hill, I, I think that's, like, the big textbook example of, of the frustrations with SA2's level design because there's there's two big problems to to put it differently is there's that everything is way too small and corridor like and very like claustrophobic and then there's things are very big and they are not well telegraphed which is like 50% a level design thing and 50% a radar thing because not having that sense of space at all times makes it a lot harder to learn the level yeah cuz Pumpkin Hill, it's it does have pretty big landmarks. Like it's got the big uh, castle hill, it's got the train yard, but they're at such different elevations. I literally couldn't tell you where anything is relative to each other. I just fly around until the radar starts, yeah. which I know is like the lowbrow way to play the game. I I will admit that I don't spend a ton of time in learning the knuckles levels. But that's just because it's not that fun to, for me at least. Like, I, I will sit and play the Sonic levels all I want because they're super fun and they're super rewarding to sit down and learn. But with the Knuckles levels, it's just like, I feel like they really go out of their way to obfuscate where everything is at any given moment. That just really doesn't help. Yeah, it's... The thing that I was going to mention with Pumpkin Hill, uh, the elevation is a great point. For me, it's specifically how everything is very spaced out horizontally as well, horizontally and laterally. Yeah. Um, big, big gaps between every mountain. And that's a problem that Meteor Herd has between its various platforms and a problem that Mad Space has between its various planets. Yeah. And Mad Space is also just too much of everything mm -hmm. because it's it's frustrating enough to control yourself in... The platforming of mad space that like the fact that there's so many different locations to go to in that level <laughs> compounds it all yeah. and makes it just an atrocious experience it is just way way too much and like to to call back to the thing that i kind of touched on like way earlier at the start of this where we would talk about like what we would do differently in like a like a hypothetical new modern sonic game hmm. i don't know the, <laughs> the best we came up with is like we kind of unify all of the characters and then we turn treasure hunting into a universal thing that kind of bars your access to the last story like if you still used to to frame it one way it's kind of like the emblems in sa1 kind of like in the hub areas where there's emblems here and there just kind of there and you have to find them take that put them in every action stage make them emerald shards and make it so you need to find all of them or at least make it something that you could find some of them like 
Mario star coins or whatever, as another example. Make mm-hmm. it so you need to find enough of them to get you to the last story. And that's across all levels. Because that would also um, increase replayability, re- increase replayability. because then you have something to look for. And if the levels are fun, and you don't do it like Sonic Advance 2 did, where the level design is completely working against having a ton of them, they have like three in each level. It doesn't have to be a ton of them. Just put them in places where if you're playing well, you will find them. That's all you have to do. And then you free up Knuckles from necessarily being treasure hunting, or at least he doesn't have the baggage of the older treasure hunting levels. And you could do something different with it that feels maybe a little more cohesive with the rest of the game. Because I think that is part of the big thing, is that Knuckles in SA2 is so much more different from Sonic than he is in SA1 that it doesn't feel as cohesive. Yeah. I think that's an interesting... I think that's an interesting angle. Hearing you talk about all that, I was thinking of both Unleashed and Colors uh, for for bad and good reasons. Um, In the same way you compared to Sonic Advance 2's special stage rings, I was thinking of the medals in Sonic Unleashed Mm. and how there's a few of those per level and your progression is absolutely gated with them. Mm. But it sounds like what you're talking about is less of a less of a you hit a wall two levels in because you didn't pick up enough collectibles and more of a uh you can't go fight bowser it at the at the galaxy reactor yet because you need 50 stars yeah or i wish i knew more i guess okay so in colors ds that game has a last story that colors we does not because colors we does have the special stages well it doesn't have the special stages it's the chaos emerald but you yeah. unlock them by getting all the red star rings and once you do that optional yeah it's completely optional and then you get supersonic but in the ds version it does like straight up have special stages and you do need all the chaos emeralds to get to that last story segment so i guess in a way it's kind of like mixing both because Hmm. i don't want to say oh you need all of them in order to get the last story because that sounds like a lot right but like it's cool to have it be a story tied MacGuffin, right? Like, you go through a level and you find the Master Emerald Shards, and maybe it's it's set up story-wise like Sonic Adventure uh, 1, where, like, you play through a level as Sonic first, and they're there, and you're like, hmm, I wonder why these are here. And then you unlock Knuckles, and then you find out why. Mm. I'm not presenting this like it's a definitive good idea. Like yeah. it, you're just exploring. It's, yeah, it's something. And... I think just having that be open to all the characters just inherently kind of spreads out the exploration gameplay in a way that feels natural to a degree. Like, you're adding it to the existing Sonic formulas that are in the game. Like, the literal Sonic gameplay of playing as Sonic in your respective game. Which makes it work a little more cohesively than it does completely barring it um, from the other levels. And hmm, I guess by doing that, you open yourself up to a linear style of Knuckles gameplay that will play to his strengths differently than how they do in the adventure games, which is interesting and is a little more reminiscent of the classic games, which isn't like, that's not an intrinsically good thing, Yeah, totally. but it is a more interesting, well, not more, it is an interesting thing. What gets me thinking about all this is that is 
setting aside the treasure hunting gameplay like this kind of makes it feel like an extraneous design choice that could just be dropped anyway. Mm -hmm. It's it's taking away from enough of the identity the treasure hunting levels have as their own segregated thing that I don't know. It's just it it's not like it's worthless. I think I kind of said what I what I meant wrong. It's more like you could have it or you could not have it and it might be interesting but it would be it would be the sort of game design level design mechanic setup that you could just as easily not do and still have reason to have knuckles there i guess gameplay wise mm -hmm. but if if you need like a good story tie-in to have knuckles there and you want to make the treasure hunting gameplay more cohesive to the game i see where you're coming from yeah yeah i that's that's also another thing is that i like knuckles being an important story character because he i i almost said he always but it's only kind of like one and a half times mm -hmm. he can bring fun like lore with it just like depending on whatever he's doing like if you give knuckles the job that he's supposed to have as the guardian of the master emerald there's cool stuff you could do with that and sa1 explores it the most um i guess i would just like to see that again like knuckles having an interesting story angle compared to sonic rather than him just being another like an extension of of sonic's story like he has his own motivations and that's when knuckles is an interesting character um, in SA2, he does have his own motivations, but it's still, like, he's literally just in Sonic's back pocket the whole game, so it doesn't really matter. I think the most interesting thing they could do with Knuckles story-wise at this point would be to give us a a real, actual, tra actual transitional story for him from being the Guardian of the Master Emerald to not, if they <laughs> wanted him to stop being that. Yeah. Because they had him stop being that already. And then never went back to it, like, for any substantial amount anyway. And if that's how they want to handle the character, I want to see a real in-world uh, story showing how he got there. Because that was all he did, and then next day he doesn't care about it. Doesn't talk about it at all, uh, as of Heroes. That would be great. <laughs> A little secret for everyone listening to this podcast. Uh, I'm currently in a game of D&D &D with some friends of mine from university. And in that game, I'm playing a character who is effectively Knuckles the Echidna, but <laughs> not uh, because I finally discovered the joy of uh, taking characters you enjoy and reinterpreting them as D&D &D characters and making them something entirely different. Play a character who... Uh, it's a descendant of dragons. Uh, was the last, uh, the last living uh, member of her family guarding a lake that used to be the domain of uh, of a dragon. And the start of the campaign is putting her on the path to to letting go of that obligation and finding out what she actually wants to do with herself because she is for the first time experiencing things other than living in a lake, foraging for herself, and protecting it, and doing nothing else. So that's that's the kind of story I would be interested in seeing Knuckles star in. Mm. It's like, what does it take to to make this person who is who's stoic, 
uh, unfamiliar with the world and uh, believes a lot of things he's told at face value because uh, he's just that kind of person. What does it take to make him uh, do anything other than the one job he knows, right? Yeah. He's the kind of person who would stay attached to that forever because why would he do anything else? This is the one thing he knows. He's just going to keep doing it because it needs to be done. Man, this this idea... Okay, I'm going to just lay out my train of thought. Is that like... Yeah, go for it. If if this were like the intentions of his arc, and we're this is just like a full story rewrite for literally the whole franchise. Um, in Sonic 3, if you took Sonic and made him be like the vehicle for, for Knuckles having something else to do with his life beyond be being the guardian of the master emerald and eggman was the one that's like oh you're the guardian of the master emerald uh, of course he's bad he's here and i'm here to help you and warn you about him that's like such an interesting angle and like it's super interesting part of it is also i, I feel like it romanticizes sonic in a way that i don't really like the which is <laughs> sonic x kind of also does that where it's like oh sonic will be the solution to all of my personal that's problems true. because he's a cool guy and he's the winds of change yeah like personified embodied yeah. i i like that idea a lot i worry that it it could dip into that but i mean if knuckles has any sort of agency i think it'll be fine and like as long as he yeah. still like is resistant and mean and you know himself in sonic 3 i don't think it'll fall into that trap necessarily but it's a really interesting character exploration angle. Yeah, exactly. I think, man, now that's like that's what I want to see now is them finally <laughs> just like letting him kind of let go of that. Because like, what would that mean? Yeah. I have they ever even thought of that? Like, what would that mean if he just hasn't? If he just stops being the guardian of the master emerald? Like, what's the problem with that? And that's the thing is like, on some level they've explored that, but they haven't been honest about it because they haven't. They haven't acknowledged that there's been any separation at all. Yeah. They've tried to have him reference the Master Emerald sometimes still. They've had it show up occasionally. They've let it be important in spinoff material. And they're just gonna leave it at that, you know? Like, uh, like yeah, Knuckles can still mention the Master Emerald and his duties in the IDW comics, uh, but we're just gonna put out another game where he's just here and helping out Sonic and doesn't doesn't talk about anything he does outside of helping his his best bud never had any animosity with good friend Sonic the Hedgehog they've always been friends since day one there's never been anything never been anything I because like the immediate threat would be Eggman right like he's the only one who really cares about the Master Emerald but like he doesn't anymore he hasn't touched that thing in so long or i guess he's just given up they could solve this problem by having more villains i know but like all the other times they've tried to add villains lately it's not that good i know it's like everyone everyone who makes sonic content except the writers that they actually hire at sonic team understands making interesting sonic villains more than they do yeah as an extension of that when you mentioned knuckles just like being there as Sonic's best pal, it's like, wow, I think people would have a lot less uh, of an issue with Sonic's friends kind of being around all the time 
if they had agency, like if you only had the characters you needed for the given story and not just everyone there just because, because they all have to be there because everyone likes them all. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to have knuckles all the time. Like I know he's one of the three, but like, if you really have to have an extra character, it's Sonic tails and Amy. They're all like your go-tos. Amy literally just hangs out. I'm sure she's not busy. Yeah. Which, you know, ties into uh, something I like to bring up anytime we talk about Amy Rose for any reason, which is uh, she's a power type, you know? Mm -hmm. Stop trying to make her a speed type, Sonic team. I know it's your character, but also stop. Let her be a power type. She's a big hammer. She's a big hammer. You can't go fast with a big hammer. She's kind of a big... She's she's a little short tempered, you know. You know, you ever notice that you've written her like that, Sonic Team? She's a little short tempered, and like goes off on people physically. Yeah, but she's a little mellowed out now. Yeah, I guess so. She's also uh, less interesting now. Yeah, I guess that's an extension of like, wow, these characters sure don't act their ages at all. They're just kind of they don't do anything. They also yeah, they don't act their ages at all. Yeah. Which uh, has its own problems in regards to the fandom and community. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, very few Sonic characters do things for their own reasons these days in the plots. Mm -hmm. And the couple of times they've tried to have that happen, it's mostly been through forced melodrama. Because the writing took took a dip in the Wii generation. Yeah. And it's unfortunate how much of that has, like, really stuck. Because you will never see me say that I do not prefer a more lighthearted Sonic. But it's not that it's lighthearted, it's that nobody has any agency anymore. That's really it. Is it just nobody has any agency and everyone just does things because it's like routine? Yeah. Oh, routine is such a strong word for it. That's why people don't like Mario stories. And that's why <laughs> Mario stories aren't existent is because it's all just routine. And like Sonic used to not have a routine or like if there was a routine, it was at least a little more interesting. I feel like we're just going to keep mentioning every episode how Mario and Sonic have the same problems. Yeah. Like, they don't have the same problems, but they sure do have a few of them. Yeah. It's it's funny on that front how much people are willing to put up with literally these same problems just because the games are more polished. Mm. Because I guess that's, like, the big thing with a lot of people is that, like, oh, Mario games are super-duper polished, and that's why I super-duper like them. But it's, like, if if they don't present very many interesting ideas, I don't really care. Um, like to to bring it back to the theme of the episode, <laughs> Sonic Adventure Two isn't a super duper polished game, but like it's as polished as it needs to be. You're not gonna run into any outstanding glitches unless you're like really trying to make the game look bad, like someone who is not a good person. <laughs> the, the, this is like its own thing. I I feel like there's a problem that people have with 3D Sonics, especially like the Dreamcast era, where they they will present the game as poorly as humanly possible. And like with Sonic Adventure, because the DX port is the most accessible port, that's like okay, fine. Mm. I still don't like that you're doing it, but like at least it's probably not entirely intentional. But like 
come on. <laughs> At this point, there's so many more productive things to be talking about. And, like, I think the important thing is that Sonic, in general, presents so many interesting new ideas with each of its games. And even if it doesn't accomplish those, it's still more interesting to talk about that than, like, Mario Galaxy from a gameplay perspective. Like, what are you going to talk about there? Except for, like, level design. And the same things that you talk about with every Mario game, where it's like, yeah, they're really good at like teaching you what you're going to be doing at the end of the level, throughout the level. It's like, yeah, that's every Mario game. It's, yeah. it's kind of Nintendo's deal. And they do make really good polished games. But it's it's hard for me to say that they innovate on 3D platforming. Yeah, because Sonic games, like every single one of them, get you thinking at least yeah like they bring such interesting things to the table that you want to explore them whether playing the game or just in thought experiments or in in conceptualizing new games that don't exist yeah because the 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 thesis of sonic will always be it it's mario but with a very high focus on speed running in the given medium and that's why it's so difficult to pinpoint what makes a really great 3D Sonic. And part of why people gravitate definitely towards the adventure games is because the answer that those games provide is a familiar one, is that it's very close to the Genesis games in 3D. But like when Mario made the jump from 2D to 3D, that was insane. Everything changed. And that's kind of why in hindsight now it feels really weird that like we're going back to the 2d stuff in 3d because like yeah i guess it's more mario in a literal sense but it doesn't it's not innovating 3d world i don't think really innovated on 3d platforming much at all or 3d land because it came up with the first right that's not an innovation that's technically going backwards like it's not necessarily like a, a linear scale but 3D Land is very definitively built like 2D Mario, so there's conventions that work in 2D Mario that, because the 3DS has literal 3D graphics, you can kind of meet halfway there, and you don't have to worry about like depth perception as much and right. stuff like that. So like, to a certain, I think from a technological standpoint, it innovates because there is stuff that you are doing there that is not conventionally as accessible, but from the perspective of a 3d platformer what new ideas are being presented here they are old ideas put in like a very slight z-axis but with every like generation of sonic game that's a completely different answer they're all totally different answers to how you would go about the question of how would you make sonic gameplay in 3d and that's what makes them all interesting I want to posit something kind of weird. Mm. I hope this makes sense. It might take a second. I would say that even though the new Super Mario Brothers games exist and might seem like a more direct comparison here, that 3D Land and 3D World are kind of uh, are kind of like Mega Man 9 and 10 and mm. kind of like Sonic Mania in that uh, they're very focused on old is new and 
things you haven't seen for a long time. Why don't we do that again? Mm-hmm. People want it again. Why don't we do that again? Here, we'll give you the Tanuki suit. Here, we'll give you proper blocky uh, platforming. Here, we'll give you this specific aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not quite the same, just because on a fundamental level, 3D Land and 3D World are three-dimensional games, and they don't look identical to older Mario games in the way that Mega Man 9 and 10 do. Mm-hmm. They're not they're not going out of their way to be a perfect throwback. But it's still very like we know you missed this stuff. We're gonna capitalize on it instead of instead of innovating. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying completely. Cause like I I remember when th- this has been on my mind so much lately because 3D World just came out again. Yeah. Um the era of Mario games where it was like Galaxy, 3D Land, 3D World. That progression there, that chunk, when Galaxy 2 came out, people were stoked. Like now, I think people give it slack because it's not as story-oriented as Galaxy, but people Mm. were stoked for Galaxy 2 because it was Mario platforming without the story with Yoshi. And it was like more challenging and uh, intensive platforming, which is what the core audience wanted at the time. People always were saying... I like Galaxy because it's the Mario Sunshine levels, but without any of the other stuff. It's the secret levels, and the secret levels are awesome. I love playing the secret levels. It's just raw platforming, so I just want more of that. I want more platforming. So that's what they did. And then when 3D Land came about, it was like, oh my god, are they finally doing just 2D Mario in 3D? They're finally doing the thing that they always wanted to do because the original games, they had to make compromises because they were new to 3D. So this is like what they always wanted to make, right? And then when 3D World came around, nobody wanted it. It wasn't until the second trailer <laughs> that people were really into it because it's it had like a spunk to it. The music was great. It was all the new boss battles, mm-hmm. all the new stuff, and it looked like fun. But at face value, nobody wanted 3D World. It was a game nobody asked for that people were more tired of because they had already played it half to death on the 3DS on a console that nobody had. And this is the biggest tangent we've ever been on. But like that kind of stuff isn't innovating to me. It's not introducing something interesting or new. It's something that already exists being put into, I guess, a new game. Like it's just doing it again. Yeah. It's it's definitely a different kind of coat of paint. It's it's like the video game equivalent of making a voxel version of like an 8-bit an 8-bit sprite. Which is like the weirdest analogy. <laughs> I hear you though. There's almost something to uh to the idea that Mario and Sonic have had opposite trajectories in terms of 3D titles. Yeah. Where Mario started off with this big divergence from the existing gameplay of the franchise. Mm -hmm. And then slowly more and more each game moved closer to, I don't know, I guess like some kind of symbiosis with, with expected Mario gameplay, but in 3d and Sonic started with that and has only gotten further and further and further and further away. Yeah. And like you were saying earlier, not to pose the Genesis gameplay as, an intrinsic good uh but it is something that works on its own merits yeah and is nice and you can definitely translate into 3d in interesting ways that sega still hasn't fully done 
but like the adventure games have a tie to a gameplay system that works and they work well enough in their interpretations of it whereas other other sonic games have failings because they're kind of still tied to that gameplay system but interpreting it worse or they're doing something entirely different that is also fine yeah it's the the adventure gameplay is definitely all reliable for sonic and i'm surprised that they never really came back to it yep people are sure expecting them to uh to come back to it soon people are thinking they're dropping a lot of hints right now and i have no horse in the race yeah i can't blame them um they are definitely doing that a lot which is probably also a marketing thing but like they are definitely leaning into it whether they're doing something with it or not they at least know where the audience is at right now i'll take Um, that marketing thing over the nihilistic memes that's definitely true i will also take having some sort of of aim with 3d sonic than having nothing Yes. I um I do think that Sonic Adventure 2 is a good exploration of where Sonic would be relative to Mario in a 3D space. Um because I that's actually really funny thinking about it that I think the ideal 3D Mario gameplay is exploratory and the ideal 3D Sonic gameplay is considerably more linear. <laughs> And action oriented because <laughs> I think that's just more reflective of the moment to moment gameplay of their respective games. Like the the immediate um reference point for me for 2D Mario is Super Mario World. Right. And you go around all those levels at a relatively slower pace, exploring things everywhere, and you have power ups that allow you to do that better. And there's all the secret exits and you just go all around the world finding all the different stuff, and it's all about where you can go with the tools given to you, which in that game are the power-ups. In Sonic, it's more like all of your tools are oriented around going faster and faster no matter what you're doing. The levels allow you to explore, but you don't necessarily have to. And you are encouraged to learn whatever it is you want to do faster and faster, which is, that's why I think Sonic Adventure 2, in those speed stages, it's a good reflection of that in 3D. There's really something to that, because Mario World was the first Mario game to introduce collectibles strewn around the level that you can pick up and get like, um, get all of them within one level for some kind of perk. Mm-hmm. In that game, it was just one-ups. They're completely optional. But it was still the first time they did something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I know any platformers before then that were built around that in that way. Obviously, they they dialed that up uh really heavily for the sequel to Mario World. Yeah. Um having multiple sets of of collectibles of uh varying amounts. I had something to say about SA2 a second ago, but I did lose it. So that's fine. It's okay. That's all right. You know what sucks in SA2? Hmm. The mech levels. I feel like we haven't railed on them enough yet. We kind of railed on them to begin with, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Let, let, let's 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 do like a wind down railing on the mech. Yeah, levels. I want to like close the book on them. Is the thing yeah. like we said everything we could say about the treasure hunting stages? I feel like, and mm-hmm. we've come back to the speed stages a bunch. I I just want to be done with the mech stages. I feel like we said a little bit, and it was enough, but we could say more. Yeah. 
they're just not great. And either you or I already mentioned that part of that is the level design. Mm-hmm. It's not just that the level design is often very blocky or square in general and uh, uninteresting in in uh, the <laughs> restricted by the fact that the mechs can't even jump very high. So the platform is usually very slow yeah. and low in terms of vertical traversal. So it's either feeling like you're taking two steps up when there could have been a ramp mm-hmm. or feeling like you're making a bunch of jumps when they could just made the mech jump higher and you would have had more satisfying uh, places to reach because they could actually extend the platforming out yeah. instead of it being this, this super incremental thing. Uh, and you get the hover, which is it's cool. I, I like slow descent stuff in in games especially 3d platformers i think that's where that kind of ability really shines Mm -hmm. but it's it's not that useful yeah because it's it's sort of like the light dash in sa2 um but not as fun because the light dash has all of these great uh touches to it control wise and visuals uh visually that make it enjoyable to use despite the fact that uh, for the most part, even though you can use it in a lot of different places, you are expected to use it in very specific set pieces in the levels in order to get over from one place to another in a way you can't use any other ability to do so. The hover is really similar for the mech stages in that you never really need it because it's not a great tool in the mech stages for correcting platforming, but when you need it, it's to cover. It's to cross a long gap that you can't get across otherwise. Yeah. It's just boring in a really straightforward and uninteresting way. And I think I just said the same the same thing three times in that one sentence. But I think that means something. Yeah, I I think I I was thinking that while while you're speaking that like the the thing about returning to it is that I feel like there's not much more to say about it because just like at a base level it's just not that fun and that's the problem um yeah like the reason why it's not that fun is because it's slow and clunky and and you brought up that the level design is very square and blocky it i think it's part that and part that the just the level design isn't very um compelling it just doesn't offer that much yeah um the the challenge is patience really it's like wow you really want to push yourself and go fast in these levels but every time you do there's always something that'll slow you down or heavily punish you if you if you're doing something the game doesn't want you to do right because these aren't the speed stages and the game wants you to know that Mm -hmm. in in tails's level uh pyramid base i think uh yeah yeah i believe uh hidden base hidden base right yeah in, in that level, the, the part that always sticks out to me, and I think I, I fall for it every single time I revisit it, <laughs> is there's that section that I think is like in the early middle of the stage. It's closer to early on, where there's a rising, there's moving platforms over quicksand, and it's all outdoors. And if you go straight towards um, what feels like a shortcut, because it's wider gaps, but you have the hover... A gun robot will just fall right down in front of you, and you won't have enough time to lock onto it and shoot it down, and it will shoot you first. And once it does that, you're dead, because you just fall into the quicksand, and that's it. And that is 
the most frustrating thing that can happen because it feels like it's actively impeding your ability to go through the level at a faster pace, which just makes it not fun at all. It's just, I just don't want to do anything in those levels then. I was about to joke. Uh, I was about to make the um, that's so Kaizo joke for a second, but the real comparison there is to, is a uh, Shobot action, really. <laughs> The, the Super Mario Cat game, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know. It's called Showbot Action. A lot of people just call it Super Mario Cat because they don't know, and they don't know Japanese. Um, but it's it's the, the Super Mario Bros. 1 parody where it's just World 1-1, one, one, um, but there's an unforeseeable obstacle like every couple of inches, and that's the joke. Um, that's That's the sort of design that I think of when I hear a gun robot falls right in front of you with no time for you to shoot it, and it shoots you. Mm -hmm. And then you die. Hmm. On that note, I think it's an interesting point to make that a lot of Sonic gameplay is trial and error, but your punishment for error isn't usually death, or at least it's not supposed to be, because that is mm -hmm. counterintuitive to the design, and the 2D games get that better. When your punishment for trying something like that is death um, in a game built around playing the levels faster and better to get a higher score and to get through everything faster and make it more replayable that way. That is the bad kind of trial and error because I think a lot of people, a lot of newer gamers especially, who are more used to modern game design, will bring up how... Because um, like the, their first Sonic game will be Sonic Mania. And they'll get into that game's gameplay loop and they'll learn, oh, you really have to like replay levels over and over and over again to learn the layouts and react and play through them better. And this kind of feels like it could be bad game design. But it all depends on how the game punishes you for it. If yeah. the game punishes you by giving by making you go slower or like you get hit and you lose your rings because you're being too um, headstrong about something and you're not reading the level telegraphs as they come, that's not necessarily bad. It's a different kind of level design and something that I resent that they spent so much time not making good 2D Sonic games because that's a lost art, basically. Sonic Mania is like the last... It, there's such a good, a huge gap between like the, the really important 2D Sonic games that taught you that, that I think we really got into when we were young and i think that's also the important thing is it's easier to learn those things when you're younger like if you play sonic adventure 2 sonic adventure um sonic 3 sonic 2 all those games when you're younger like really young and that's your introduction to the franchise that sticks with you you probably won't make much progress when you're young but that's the point mm -hmm. and so you will continue coming back to it as you grow older and get better at video games and that's how you learn how to get better because the biggest hurdle for beginner to Sonic is the physics. So if you get over that and then it's just you and the level design, you will have a much better time. Absolutely. And I think that's something that the 3D games kind of ease because they are more inherently accessible games because they're not as momentum built. It doesn't feel as much like you're on ice. Right. So with something like, um, I'll just keep saying about 2D Sonic with the trial and error gameplay there, it's on you. It's more fun to keep learning 
and playing that way. And that's the same way with fighting games is that you have to have that drive to do it. And I understand that's not for everyone, but it's different. And the fact that so many platformers don't follow that philosophy of game design at all, or they do and they're much more rigid about it, that's what makes it feel like it's not fun is because you have all these other examples of games that do it far more punishingly. Like the trial and error games that I think of, that's like the super hard platformer where they're like, yeah, you literally just do whatever you want. Deaths don't matter, but you're going to die a lot. And that's the point. Mm. Sonic's not as much like that. You're still playing through a platformer in that way. And that's fine. Like it's, it's okay to do it that way. And I think that's an important thing that a lot of people aren't used to that they need to get more used to. I want to pitch you something. Mm. The most interesting exploration I can think of in recent memory of gameplay like that in in like like that of 2D Sonic games with the trial and error, low punishment gameplay is Freedom Planet. Mm. And the reason it's most interesting to me is because those games dropped the dropped the concept of uh, damage on touch for all enemies and bosses and that allows you to keep that sense of momentum and speed and rush past stuff without it being a momentum breaker. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how that would work, not even changing the way it, that Sonic controls in existing Sonic games. I wonder how it would work with, with Sonic design philosophies. Because Freedom Planet doesn't have as much of a sense of momentum. It also doesn't care so much for for your momentum mattering in terms of traversing inclines, you can just walk up uh, walk up curves and slopes into, into full 90-degree angle walls and not have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you won't slow down or anything. So it's, it, that can come off as kind of like a compensation for how it decides to treat the gameplay of 2D Sonic games for its own needs. And I think that's true. But I still wonder what it would be like to play a 2D Sonic game where it's not interested in throwing damage at you as much as, as much as it's interested in throwing walls that you can start to feel coming. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit of like what you get out of the boost games. Which is funny, because I don't think that applies so much to like Rush and Rush Adventure. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I kind of to to like touch and touch upon my own stuff whenever i've thought about wanting to make my own games that follow sonic game design very closely one of the first things that i think about um altering or even removing is how you get hurt and how you die because it's it's very obvious and straightforward to say uh bottomless pits are completely um unintuitive to sonic gameplay Mm-hmm. But I feel like getting hurt, there's something to it because I like having a lot of rings and I like carrying a ton of rings to the end of the stage because I like seeing numbers go up and I like hearing the funny one-up noises. Yeah. But like, I'm you're, I'm not going to say, oh, the one-up itself is important. I don't care. I'm not going <laughs> to die. Right. I only like it because I like hearing the noises and I like seeing the number go up. And, and having a bunch of rings and having that big payout feels like a, a reward in and of itself. Like, yeah, I didn't get hurt once. And if I did, it didn't matter because I still have 200 rings at the end of the level. Mm-hmm. So I like the danger being present of losing all that. 
which is why I think rings are good as a mechanic for like um, quickly getting back on your feet and having kind of a gradient to um, how damage affects you in Sonic when you're moving at a high speed, because like as long as you have one ring, you're fine. But yeah. having more is ideal. So I think with a lot of my own ideas, I try and focus more on the score element of Sonic, because like I mentioned, that's the most fun for me is seeing stuff go up and carrying a bunch of stuff to the end. Yeah. So I want to try and have that play into the gameplay of Sonic where you are going faster and faster through the level of your own skill and seeing where that can kind of go and like what purposes um, a, a, like a ring adjacent um, collectible can have beyond just being health because like say you have a Sonic game and if you have no rings you still don't die you want to carry rings because if you take them all the way to the end of the level you get more score and you can use them for something like maybe you can buy something that can further change um, your gameplay like there's an equivalent or something mm -hmm. that gives value to them extrinsically while keeping the intrinsic value of them which is that they're fun to get yeah and then you want to carry a lot of them to the end because they're precious to you because you like seeing the big number and because they also have that extrinsic purpose yeah i i do think that's like that's something i enjoy in 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 sonic games also is is having my little horde and the sense of disappointment when I get hit and I drop all of it. Which is why it's nice they added uh, not just more shields to the games in general, mm -hmm. but uh, they also added the uh, combined ring power-up in Mania that makes you drop all of your rings in the form of uh, a few bigger rings, and you can pick all them up if you're fast enough. Uh, those little extra forgiveness mechanics for for collectaholics. Mm -hmm. I mostly post the Freedom Planet stuff as just something to think about because at the end of the day, whether or not you enjoy the direction it takes, I think it's important that people are interested in taking different directions at all. Mm -hmm. Like it's like you're saying, there's such a deficit of platformers that are in the school of thought of 2D Sonic that the more of them we get, period, that aren't Sonic games that try to do their own thing while still having that basis of, like, this is how you move, this is how you traverse, these are the kinds of uh, level design aspects you can expect to see, because you can go this way and find this thing, and you might see a gap over in the top left where you could jump up to, or you can keep going right. Um, those sorts of, those sorts of designs as design aspects, as long as games are interested in exploring those, Whatever they add on top is just something new to do and something interesting to think about and consider. Because mm -hmm. you might you might enjoy it so much you want to see more games that do this exact one thing. You might feel kind of passive about it and enjoy the game for its platforming roots in the way that it controls primarily. Or the things that it tries to do might obscure what you enjoy about it on a fundamental level. Mm -hmm. But I think it's great that there are games like 
Spark the Electric Jester and Freedom Planet, and probably others that I don't know about and should know about. I would say Donkey Kong Country is also like, adjacent to that school school of thought. Like, it's there. Yeah, I'll, I'll say Donkey Kong Country is a Sonic-like. Yeah. I'll, I'll make that claim. You roll in that game. <laughs> you roll in that game. Honestly, even uh, probably Returns and Tropical Freeze are even more Sonic-likes than the, the original trilogy. Yeah, I can definitely attest to uh, the latter. When I replayed that, that was a blast. It was super fun to, to go through that level super fast just because, like... Yeah. As soon as I got a handle on that game's controls, it was like, okay, the game is letting me literally fly through the levels. This rules. That's kind of all I wanted to bring up Freedom Planet for, I think. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's still so much that could be done with what we think Sonic is on a gameplay level. And that's also why we want more Sonic games. Yeah. Please. Please. It's been almost, well, it's, it's been more than three years. It's been so long. I hope that they're taking their time, but time will tell and history tends to point otherwise. But I think that's, that's a good point to end on, I think. Yeah. Just hoping to see more, whether it's like the game we've spent the most time talking about or not, but hopefully like the game we just spent a bunch of time talking about. Yeah, that would be cool. I would like that. I'd like that. I'm Crep, you can find me on Twitter at CrappyBlue. I'm Mitt, once again, you can find me on Twitter at Mitsumi Mario, M-I-T-S-A-M-E-M-A-R-I-O. You can find the podcast at LTA Sonic on Twitter. You can also check out our Patreon and back us if you would so like at patreon.com slash LTA Sonic. Hope to see you in the next zone.